Hey, Jackson Bird here. So in case you missed the announcement at the end of yesterday's episode, I just wanted to reiterate it right at the start today. We are changing the name of this podcast. Starting tomorrow, this show will be called The Cool Stuff Ride Home. We just want to give the show a name that's a little easier to find, discover, and recommend. You don't need to do anything on your end, except maybe if you sort your podcasts alphabetically, just check under C instead of K starting tomorrow. So now, for one last time, welcome to the Kotki Ride Home for Thursday, March 24th, 2022. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, the origin and fascinating evolution of LOL. Plus, it turns out the speed of sound on Mars is different and weirder than anticipated. And some of the researchers behind the discovery of Captain Shackleton's lost ship are developing a sort of Google Maps for Arctic waters. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. LOL Are you the kind of person who refrains from ever typing it, uses it at the end of nearly every sentence, or examines your messages before sending to make sure you aren't overusing LOL, like removing extra exclamation points from an email? I resisted LOL for years, decades, maybe, and now I think I might use it more than most people I typically communicate with. And what changed for my usage is partially the story of how LOL changed in general, from a literal meaning to a more symbolic one to a wholly unique grammatical function removed from the words it stands for. There's a great recent piece by Shayla Love in Vice that looks into this evolution of the not-so-humble LOL. So if you were to look it up in the Oxford English Dictionary, they would tell you that the first written recorded instance of LOL dates back to 1993 in a post about someone walking out of a movie. But two years ago, Nerdist compiled an oral history of LOL and managed to dig up a newsletter called Fido News from 1989, which shares LOL as one of the recommended abbreviations for users. Also included in the Fido News list are the still-common BRB and BTW, along with the more obscure ODM for on the move, and simply the letter H to mean, huh? Those were all abbreviations being used enough already to be included in that newsletter. So where did LOL originally come from? There's no earlier paper trail, but a man named Wayne Pearson has consistently claimed to have come up with it, first typing it on a BBS back in the early to mid-80s. He says he typed it in response to something funny that a friend said that did indeed make him laugh out loud. He said people were already using smileys and other indicators for laughter in general, but he wanted something that specifically denoted when you actually laughed out loud in real life when you're all alone in a room. He says LOL spread around the Viewline BBS, and when a lot of those folks moved over to Genie chat rooms, they took LOL with them and spread it around to others there. Notably, the folks in the Genie rooms were the first to come up with rolling on the floor laughing. So LOL seems to have spread from there, and as it did, it spread its wings further and further away from Pearson's original intent. Rarely now does someone type LOL in response to something that has made them laugh so genuinely that they're having a physical reaction on the other side of the screen. Rather, quoting Vice, we use LOL as a way of downplaying a statement, 
adding irony, levity, humility, empathy, or commiseration, expressing amusement, or just neutral acknowledgement, end quote. Celia Schneebly, a linguist at the University of Burgundy who has spent five years studying online communication, specifically in YouTube comments, told Vice that LOL can be linguistically described as a discourse marker or as a pragmatic marker. A discourse marker is a word that structures a sentence or orients fragments of a sentence contextually, like starting a sentence with so or okay, or even maybe like, as I just did. A pragmatic marker, however, is a word that can convey the speaker's attitude and add meaning to the sentence or its tone without necessarily using the word in its original definition. Quoting again, Over time, LOL has undergone pragmaticalization, Schneebly said. When a piece of language becomes a pragmatic marker and no longer only refers to what it originally signified, like LOL meaning laughing out loud. Instead, based on context and placement, a simple LOL can change the tone or attitude of a phrase. It can mitigate or soften potential aggression. It can be used to show empathy or complicity, end quote. When used alone, Schneebly says it still functions like an expression or reaction closer to its original intent, though potentially a bit more ironically and almost certainly without the typist actually laughing out loud behind the screen. But when used as part of a sentence, it's more as that pragmatic marker. Think how you could grammatically respond to someone asking, how are you doing, with well, even though you rarely would. More often, you would use well at the start of a sentence, as in, well, I've been better. That's a pragmatic marker. And similarly, LOL can be used to shift a sentence, begin a sentence, or end one. For example, LOL, yeah, that was terrible. Or, I kinda liked it, LOL. In those cases, the LOL is almost watering down the statement, perhaps in case it causes controversy within the conversation. And this gets to the heart of why I finally came around to LOL. I was absolutely one of those judgmental people who viewed LOL as belonging to the realm of stereotypical teenage girls, you know, similar to the word like. It was a marker of less intelligent speaking. But over time, I came to realize that not only is that not at all true and completely elitist, but also that both like and LOL have their own unique functions and particular meanings that really can't be conveyed in any other way. They also operate within their own grammatical norms. African-American vernacular English can face similar assumptions and judgment. Rachel Weisler, a sociolinguist at the University of Oregon, told Vice, quote, I speak to this coming from being an African-American scholar, so I care about minoritized languages. A lot of people think that the way black people speak is wrong or non-grammatical, when African-American English has a full grammar system. There are ways to speak black English wrong, end quote. And while I'd hesitate to say there's a wrong way to use LOL, there are certainly ways that deviate from what has become the norm. For example, a certain portion of older generations still use it to mean lots of love. But its kind of evolved usage as a way of conveying extra meaning to a sentence is something I'm really interested in, and I think how I mostly use it. You know, I think sometimes we have to succumb to certain turns of phrases or behaviors in our writing in order to convey tone and avoid conflict. With how much we communicate via typed writing these days, breaking from traditional grammar or some of your preferred expression in order to strike a friendly tone can be crucial for interpersonal relationships. 
Vice points out that this is a way in which LOL has a phatic language function. Conceptualized by Russian linguist Roman Jacobson, a phatic language function is when language is used for social connection rather than or in spite of passing along information. And how LOL evolved into having a phatic language function relates back to that same concept. Laughing is like a nonverbal form of phatic language sometimes. That is to say, laughter does not always mean something is funny. Any anxious laughers can tell you that. You know, often a slight chuckle is a way of diffusing tension or indicating that something resonates. Similarly, LOL can often follow something that initially seems out of place or even paradoxical, but adding the LOL helps the receiver know that the person typing LOL is not entirely serious. Like, I hate this class, LOL. And sometimes the person is serious, but the LOL kind of softens the blow and perhaps lets the other person know that they aren't trying to open the door to a more serious conversation right at this moment, even if they are actually going through a rough time. It's almost like a shield from behind which confessions can be safely made. And what about LOL's usage around the world in non-English speaking areas? Vice says that some French people use MDR, which stands for more de rire, or dying of laughter, but they more often simply use LOL. The same is apparently true in Italy, and my college roommate from Hong Kong used LOL and said that to them, the Latin letters looked like a face, kind of laughing or expressing joy. LOL has come a long way from Wayne Pearson typing it literally on a BBS back in the early 80s, and it's probably here to stay for quite a while. Although I will say that the simple ha-ha can often function in the same kind of self-conscious signal sort of way as LOL, so it's not entirely on its own, and perhaps LOL will be dethroned in favor of ha-ha or another set of letters that functions in the same way. Tonal indicators are more important than ever, but as the ubiquity of LOL compared to the comparatively niche slash S or other tonal indicators and centuries of failed-to-launch punctuation marks prove, it's something that kind of has to happen on its own natural evolution. Wayne Pearson would be the first to tell you that if you try to tell people exactly how to use something, they will inevitably ignore you in favor of remaking it in their own way. And honestly... There's something kind of beautiful in that, lol. So last year, when the Perseverance rover was landing, I talked at length about the first-of-its-kind microphone the rover had on board that was able to present us with sounds of Mars for the first time ever. Using that microphone, as well as other instruments, scientists have now calculated the speed of sound on the red planet and discovered that it's quite different from our own here on Earth. Quoting Science Alert, The speed of sound is not a universal constant. It can change depending on the density and temperature of the medium through which it travels. The denser the medium, the faster it goes. That's why sound travels at about 343 meters per second in our atmosphere at 20 degrees Celsius, but also at 1,480 meters per second in water and 5,100 meters per second in steel. Mars's atmosphere is a lot more tenuous than Earth's, around 0.02 kilograms per cubic meter, compared to about 1.2 kilograms per cubic meter for Earth. That alone means the sound would propagate differently on the red planet. 
But the layer of the atmosphere just above the surface, known as the planetary boundary layer, has added complications. During the day, the warming of the surface generates convective updrafts that create strong turbulence. End quote. Researchers at the Los Alamos National Laboratory who presented these findings at the recent Lunar and Planetary Science Conference are looking further into microphone data to see how daily and seasonal variations might affect the speed of sound. But what they've found so far, using data from the SuperCam microphone on board, is that A... Predictions about the planet's atmosphere that sounds propagate near the surface at about 240 meters per second were confirmed, but also B, that Mars is the only terrestrial planet atmosphere in our solar system that experiences a change in speed of sound in the middle of the audible bandwidth. Quoting again, At frequencies above 240 Hz, the collision-activated vibrational modes of carbon dioxide molecules do not have enough time to relax or return to their original state. The result of this is that sound travels more than 10 meters per second faster at higher frequencies than it does at low ones, end quote. The result? If someone were to talk in Mars's atmosphere, which they wouldn't because the atmosphere is unbreathable, but go with me on this one, if they were to talk in the Martian atmosphere, it would sound kinda off due to the higher-pitched sounds traveling faster than the bass notes. So someone listening in would hear the higher-pitched sounds sooner than the deeper ones. But again, astronauts will always be inside of pressurized suits or pressurized spacecraft or habitats, so this probably won't lead to any sort of communication challenge when talking with folks back home, but it is super fascinating and might lead to further insights on Mars's fluctuating planetary boundary layer. And if you want to learn more about the SuperCam microphone that Perseverance has on board, which was designed by an L.A. musician, I will put last year's episode in the show notes. So remember earlier this month when researchers discovered Ernest Shackleton's lost ship, the HMS Endurance, in Antarctica? Link to my rundown on the story is in the show notes if you want a refresher. Well, the BBC's Science Focus magazine recently spoke to scientists Nico Vincent and Dr. Lass Robinstein, who were on board for the expedition, about their experiences, and Robinstein shared a cool little tidbit about some upcoming work that they essentially beta-tested on the Endurance mission. Robinstein runs a startup called Drift and Noise, which assists polar explorers with operational information from models and satellites using remote sensing technology and other research. And the new software the startup developed is described by Robinstein as like a Google Maps of polar regions. Quoting him in Science Focus, Using satellite Earth observation images, the captain on the bridge could navigate through the ice, even in the dark hours, even during snowfall. We could use it like a street map through the ice. Ice is changing continuously. It drifts 20 kilometers or more in a day. Leads open up, which are the streets or paths between ice for the ship, or they can close. This is the future of ships, the shipping 4.0, I would say, like a smart ship interconnected with the internet, exchanging data with the outside world. All the satellite imagery which served as a street map for the ship, and also the data from sensors on the ship, are transmitted to a data cloud for the development of a kind of Google Maps for the Arctic and Antarctic. End quote. Exploring the Arctic is a massive challenge, for exactly the reasons Robinstein outlined. 
The terrain is constantly changing, and you need technology that can withstand the elements and provide you with the data you need. For the discovery of the HMS Endurance, no one ever even touched the ship. It was all captured with sensors and cameras from Saab's autonomous saber-toothed submersible drones. And part of that is because it's a protected heritage site, but part of it is because, well, it's the Arctic. So the idea of a user-friendly software for researchers to use that accounts for the ever-changing conditions of the Arctic is just a cool little bit of tech that I wouldn't have really thought there was a need for before today. And as Robinstein told Science Focus, quote, "...you can only protect what you know." These regions, especially the Arctic, are the ones changing fastest due to global warming. But with more awareness, we have a better chance of protecting them and our climate in the long term." End quote. Well, once again, don't forget that the name change will be happening tomorrow, Friday the 25th. Sometimes different podcatchers take longer to update, so I can't guarantee when it'll show up on your end, but as of tomorrow, we will officially be the Cool Stuff Ride Home. But for now, this show was produced by Ride Home Media and Kotki.org. I'm Jackson Bird, and I will talk to you from a shiny new name and logo tomorrow. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.